You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Just a reminder, the B&H Photography Podcast, Canon 5D Mark IV Sweepstakes is on. And you have two chances to win. All you have to do is be a subscriber to the show. And at the end of this episode, we're going to give you all the details on what you have to do to qualify. Stay tuned. Today's show is about super telephoto lenses, specifically telephoto lenses with angles of view of six degrees or less. For full-frame cameras, we're talking about lenses 400 millimeters and longer. For APS-C cameras, which have smaller sensors, the threshold starts at around 250 millimeter. And for micro four-third format cameras, lenses 200 millimeters and longer. Whenever I talk about telephoto lenses, I can't help but think back uh, about a lens review I wrote about 10 years ago for the B&H newsletter. It was a 12, it was a Canon 1200 millimeter f56 LUSM lens that found its way to the B&H used department. I called the article the mother of all telephotos. Less than 20 of these special order beasts were produced back in the early 1990s. They weighed 36 pounds. They measured close to three feet long. The front element measured nine inches across, and it took at least two people to mount it on the sturdiest tripod you can find. The angle of view is a mere two degrees. It was a Bear to maneuver, and the autofocus was terrible. But when everything fell into place, it took amazing pictures. John Harris and Todd Vorenkamp also had an opportunity to shoot with one of these beasts, this time a second 1,200-millimeter cannon that found its way through the store. Just to jump ahead, uh, yeah. jump in, uh, that was ultimately sold. Yes. And... Uh, what did it go for from the used store? Do you remember? About um, 90000 It went 000? for about $90,000. Right. Yes. Right, and I remember the owner had it uh, 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 driven over to Teterboro Airport and flown on his plane to his home right. out of state. Just to, to also throw in, we, we took that lens twice to the Manhattan Bridge to shoot, uh, and once with a, a guy from the New York Times who wanted to try it. And uh, it was pretty incredible just to bring that thing out. And... Uh, Check the B&H Explorer website for an article I did with Peter Reed Miller, a Sports Illustrated photographer who used that same lens in the 80s and 90s, and some of the stories he has to say about using it for football it's, it's and track. Great. It's an experience using it's that. very interesting. When yeah. you set it up, crowds gather around you. Yeah, it uh, was like that, yeah. <laughs> I remember we took it up to the roof of the building here. We're on uh, 35th and 9th Avenue in Manhattan, and we aimed it across the Hudson, and you, we, <laughs> we could read street signs in Weehawken. It was really <laughs> sick. I mean, that's like two, three miles away. It was just really crazy. Uh, anyway, joining us to talk about super telephoto lenses is an increasingly familiar pair of guests, Chris Williams from the B&H Pro Sales. Chris is also the man behind Lens Therapy Live, a very informative Instagram site about all things you wish you knew about photography, but we're too shy to ask the guys at the sales counter about. <laughs> is that um, true? You know, there are yeah, touchy subjects here, but, you know, you, you know, one-on-one on Instagram, you could do it. It's okay. It's Whatever like, they want to know. That's it. No faces. It's all facts. It's not, it's not 99 cents a minute or anything, is it? Like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe this year. <laughs> and we could tell your future. Also joining us is bird photographer David Spicer, the man behind lilybirds.com. David was here previously on our birding photography podcast, and he, too, knows his stuff. Welcome, everybody. 
Thank you. Thanks, David, for coming back. Of course. It's great seeing you all here again. Uh, let's start talk. Let's start by talking about some of the applications and advantages of shooting with longer focal length lenses. Uh, and after that, we'll take a short break and then take a look about what's available here uh, at B and H in terms of lenses and recommended accessories for getting the most out of your investment. Um, okay, we all know super telephoto lenses bring distant objects very, very close. What else? <laughs> <laughs> and they're off. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, is there any other reason to use these lenses? I mean, they're extremely sharp. Okay. Which is fantastic. Yeah. They're a fixed focal length. Assuming that you can hold them steady. Yeah, Need right. a good support. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have the opportunity to shoot with a shallow depth of field. Mm. Um, so for wildlife or bird photography, that's that's key. Mm-hmm. You get a nice blurred background. And if you want to shoot at f22 or you know a distant la- landscape, you can do that as well. Um, they're versatile, even though they're big. By the way, speaking about size, just something that has to be established, I think, is that one of the problems of shooting with these longer focal length lenses is getting holding them steady and getting sharp pictures. And the rule of thumb, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, is that you should never handhold a camera at a shutter speed slower than the focal length of the lens. So if you're shooting with a 500 millimeter lens, don't handhold it slower than a 500th of a second, a 200th, a 200th, and so on. Now it's assuming you not have not had three Starbucks beforehand. <laughs> well, that that's really the old school right. rule. I mean, now you have three stops or four stops. Well, that's it. Image now we have image stabilization, which right. buys us. I, I've bit. shot my 300 to eight um, handhold at about an eighth of a second and I've gotten a sharp picture. I got a cover hand holding a 500 at a 30th from a moving platform. It that's was floating. That's even more impressive. Yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> and then you on a magic up. carpet. Yeah, it was a cover <laughs> shot. I was very, very, that was, I earned my dollars that yeah. day. I really but, did. But to, to, to just kind of piggyback on, on the opening, I would take my 600 F4 and slap a, a 2X on it and be a 1200 F8 for $12,500. As opposed mm-hmm. to and Buying as opposed to a twelve hundred five six that weighs yeah. thirty seven. Oh, pounds. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not only that, so, that that's yeah. an important thing that, to say. That that lens is something that it, it that's for bragging rights. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. You know because again you you need a sherpa to get around with that thing and, and a mule. Um, and the truth is, yeah, the eight hundred millimeter. Um, what is it? An F. The eight hundred is is five six. Five so, six. So you could put in one four on it and be at eleven twenty, whatever it is, but and hand hold it. It's it's holdable. I, you can handle that thing. Um, sure. For, you don't want to, but you could. But, you can. The twelve hundred, you don't have an option. But, the eight hundred, yeah, yeah, yeah. and but, the pictures are sharp. But but for bird photography, um, if you're shooting a flying hawk in a blue sky, you can handhold the six hundred f four for short bursts. Um, you know, it's a you. We'll talk about technique, but there's a bird and flight technique kind of where you're kind of almost shooting like a rifle. So you're putting it right up and aiming and firing. Now, is this um, something that you just learned over years of doing this, or is there actually somebody out saying, okay, this is the technique. Put it to your shoulder, lift it, swing it. I think it's common sense because yeah. otherwise you, you couldn't do it. But there there are a few bird and flight photographers who kind of teach that technique but you would have to know about them. And is there any advantage of doing that handheld as opposed to on a gimbal? Yeah, you have more freedom. Just the more freedom. Do you work so, yeah. mostly handheld? No. Uh, only o- when I'm using a, a, a 300 or less, I'll handhold, but, uh, or bird and flight. 
um, I'll use the 500 F4, which is only seven pounds, and I can handhold that almost all day. Because um, again, it's short bursts where you're, you're, you're not continually holding holding the lens up. And so. it, should we assume that you're also keeping it on continuous burst? Oh, yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, it, it's, it's not skeet shooting, it, right? Well, <laughs> it's, it's, again, right. it's a very similar technique uh -huh. uh, to, to firing a rifle. You only get one shot. Right. <laughs> well, you know, not too long, not yeah, too yeah. long ago, you only had one shot, if you yeah, think yeah. about it. That's true. Well, my Canon 1N, you know, in the 90s, that, that was at 10 or 12 frame, frames a second. I, I think it was less than that. The Pelix was 10 frames a second mm, with the locked right. mirror. The, I think that was even faster. Um, and they were all slugs compared to what we but do today. I, <laughs> but the, the, the thing was, I mean, I, I, with that camera, I'm only a roll of 36 you know, frames. Uh -huh. frames. I only shot one time in my life a full burst of, of, of holding down the shutter because I was just too nervous with, you know, running out of film. Yeah. So, th I mean, that, that's why digital is so great. Just don't be intimidated by the size of the super telephoto. I mean, uh, you had mentioned that crowds gather when you have a 600 F4 in the park and everyone wants to touch in oh, Central yeah. Park. Everyone wants to touch it. Every kid wants to put their head up next to it because mm -hmm. it, it's Not only sure. something that you see on the sidelines of a, of a sporting event. Mm -hmm. And it is magical looking through these oh. things. Which actually makes me want to jump back to where we, we started this with the applications because when we write about these lenses or talk about them, we really talk birding, wildlife, and sports. And there must be some other uses. And the only one whenever I... When we talk about it, or like stakeouts, you know, That's I it. mean, sp <laughs> spy. There you go. Yeah, and spy camera. I mean, is there anything else? I mean, I know photojournalists can use it. And Landscaping. I, I mean, I've used I've I've used five hundred millimeter lenses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've used I've used the five hundred millimeter often and a three hundred for landscapes. There there are times when it's a perfect lens because sometimes you see something that is not a close landscape; it's distant. Yep. Trees and and mountains the way they're lining up, and with a telephoto lens, especially a longer one, you could. Compose very interesting compositions because unlike a, uh, a wide angle, which expands the depth and gives a very strange dynamic to it, uh, longer lenses, the longer they get, the more uh, uh, two-dimensional the image becomes. You compress you, it. It becomes like a, uh, I call it collage-like, which just looks like paper cutouts on oh, yeah. top of each other. Um, if you aim like the 1200 millimeter lens we had and we aimed it up 9th Avenue, there were buildings that were literally three or four blocks apart, but it looks like they're leaning against mm -hmm. each other. There's like no depth book. to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. And that's true with, with landscape when you can bring like a mountain or, or several layers of trees and the shadows they create yeah. together. It's often very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it becomes like a collage. Mm -hmm. I've also shot portraits with lenses two, three, and four, and 500 millimeter. 200, yeah. I've never. And I, I've, I've used it for with a uh, 500, uh, and it was very interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've done, I've had my 500 where, and my kids look great, and I wanted to take their picture. I'm like, step back. <laughs> yeah, step, yeah. Step back. No, no, the other <laughs> corner, that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> Go about a quarter mile away, and <laughs> the then, then, then I get a then I get a portrait. <laughs> yeah. Now it's also but interesting. But they're great because, the, the, as I had mentioned before, you can't beat the the image quality of these lenses. They're just spectacular, and I think that's that's the main draw. Uh, why people are wildlife photographers and sports uh, sports photographers um, are drawn to these because you want the highest possible image quality that you can get. There are other options out there, but as a professional photographer or anything that you're that you do you really want to try to get the best results possible and and that's that's why you you pay the money and and carry these things around well maybe i'm jumping ahead then to the question i had which is when does it become worth it 
to spend this kind of money when you could also, I mean, we'll talk later about the advances in camera technology that may have made some of these lenses less necessary, but is it simply when you are getting paid for it or when you have that extra money? I mean, who, who's going to make the jump to a $10,000 five or 600 millimeter lens when they can combine something with the teleconverter? Well, it, it always comes down to what you're shooting specifically. Um, and if that's going to be the best tool for what you need, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, yeah, if you're shooting portraits, you know, for senior portraits for, you know, teenagers, you don't need the 600 and tell them to go to the other football field to shoot it, you know. Um, That's if, an idea. I like that. Yeah, right? It'll be quieter, you know. <laughs> um, you can, uh, you're going to need it if you're shooting um, birds in flight or anything that's going to be scared when you get close enough to it. Um, or you get scared if you get too close to it, bears, <laughs> right. you know, who knows? Right. Right. Um, so there's sort of a safety standpoint to it and also necessity if it's just the distance that you're shooting. If you're going on safari, um, you're going to need something longer than 200 or you're not really going to be happy with what you're seeing because a lot of times you just always wish you had more zoom and if it's available and you can get it, then it'll be even better for you. A, a wildlife or bird photographer is always wanting more. So... Um, if you're it's never there, there's so there's so many people who start off with a 300 millimeter, then they go to a, I like me, then you go to a 400, then you go to a <laughs> 500, then an 800, and then a 600. Um, it's a it's a constant battle with your gear, hmm. and you're always looking for the best thing. So, I, I would say if if you want to open up Lightroom after you've taken your first pictures with a super telephoto, and you just want to say wow, that's why you buy the by these lenses. <laughs> the wow factor. Right? It's, it's yeah. definitely the wow factor. Yeah. I mean, there, there are photographers who can pull, again, it comes down to the photographer's skill, but um, if you have the best equipment, you, the chances of you being successful are always, are always greater than if you're shooting with something that is automatically blurry where it really gives you no shot. Like if you get, 10 years ago, you would buy a kit lens and you would open it up and you're like, what the hell is going on here? Everything was not sharp or blurry. Mm -hmm. so You noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're out in the field and you're with a group of, of bird photographers, uh, there I'm assuming there are several or many that will have a 200 F4 that is about $1,000 or less, I don't know, and they put a converter on it and they're going to be satisfied with this because they're, or is it just a matter of, you know what, now I need to go to the next level, or can they be satisfied? If we're talking, we're not talking about it for sale. We're not talking about right. stock images. We're just talking about someone who likes to capture images. If you just want to capture images, you're fine with the with mm -hmm. with, with the bargain option because yeah. you just want a record shot um, most of the time, or a facsimile of what the bird looked like. <laughs> <laughs> but again, most people aren't really aren't that discerning. I mean, if you look at magazines, which are, are few and far between these days. The pictures aren't the greatest in the world. Um, so photo editors are always, they're under, they're under a lot of strain and they're, they're looking for the, the quickest available image a, a lot of times. And the cheapest. And the maybe. cheapest, yeah. free. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I would say for, for the average photographer, there are so many good options between the 800 to $2,000 range now that you don't necessarily need need the super telephoto. However, if you really wanted to achieve the, the highest possible results or have the opportunity to, to achieve the highest possible results or you're being paid to, to do this, then that's when you're going. That's yeah. when you're reaching for the, yeah. the, the big guns. Yeah. 
And I, when, I met you. Good. Right. Yeah. I was going to just say about zoom lenses, you know, to kind of take that because obviously there's some very good zoom lenses, the 200, 500s. Does, does the quality stack up? Image quality, I'm saying. It does. It, a zoom is never quite as sharp as a prime, of course, but that's just the natural difference between no, them. No, you but really can't even say that anymore. Yeah. It's a, it's a dangerous thing to say. They're getting very, very close now yeah. um, to the point where it doesn't really matter. Um, it's definitely not a requirement that you have to get a prime. And then you're also trading away the versatility and flexibility of the zooms um, by going with a prime where you can just shoot totally different photos when you have something like a, a 150 to 600 it can be night and day between those two focal lengths and you don't have to stop what you're doing change lenses completely to a different prime miss a couple shots and then be ready you know to shoot again so there's a lot of pros to getting a zoom rather than a prime nowadays and a lot of the zooms are cheaper than some of these primes like yeah. four or five six hundred um because of those trade-offs also another <laughs> thing about uh, zooms you have to be careful sometimes is that most quite often the minimal focusing distance of a zoom is further than a prime lens. If you get a prime lens, you could focus closer and tighter, which could make the difference mm -hmm. between a shot that's killer and an okay shot. Yeah, there's another natural difference. Sure. And, and obviously, the super telephoto is, a, is usually a faster lens. So again, yeah. if, you, if you're shooting indoors, um, most of the time you'll you'll want a a, a fixed telephoto. Mm -hmm. and with, the, with the fixed maximum aperture too, not the, the, right. the variable. Yeah. Right, because cause most zooms are still at, they started at four. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, y you'll even see basketball photographers shooting an 85, 1.8 or an 85, 1.2 mm -hmm. because... They have to. They have to. And yeah. if you're right under the basket, you're still going to get, you're still, <laughs> you'll still do pr pretty well. Now, an 85 with the teleconverter... Uh, two times talking 160. Yeah, but you can't. I don't, quite, I, I don't know. I've never the, seen the, anyone do that. But I don't I'm just think curious. the can, the cannons can't. I don't think they can mount a teleconverter Most because of them the, the back the back okay. element is right. Right, right there. Okay. And yeah. even on the one two, it's almost. I think it even protrudes past them. Mm -hmm. There Most, are some um, companies that make two variations of the teleconverters for longer lenses and for shorter lenses. So mm -hmm. when you're researching, you have to be, make sure that whatever you own or whatever you intend to use mm -hmm. is compatible with it. Yeah, a lot of people will come in wanting a teleconverter for their lens, but it'll be their 50 millimeter or their 100 millimeter. I'm like, no, 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 it's not even built for that because not only does it have its own uh, elements built into the teleconverter that get in the way physically of the lens, but then you can also have issues with the compatibility where you lose um, focusing or autofocusing, uh, and it's not even going to work properly, even if you are able to mount it necessarily. Another thing that's an important consideration is that while optically a lot of the third-party teleconverters are perfectly fine, they're very, very good, um, my experience and feedback I've heard from others is that if you're going to be using a teleconverter, it often makes sense, it's often a better idea, to use the same manufacturers. So if you're shooting with Canon and Nikon, use Canon, Nikon, or Sony, whatever. Um, there are third party, you try them out, you might want to test them. Um, and even more so with today's lenses where there's a lot of communication going back and forth. If the firmware of your teleconverter isn't up to speed, you might actually be trashing all of the great things that you bought this lens for. You're losing speed, you're losing sharpness. And do keep in mind that every time you enter a new optical system into an existing optical system, you're giving up something. And for that reason there too, you also want to make sure you're getting the very best possible quality, best matched teleconverter to go with that lens that you have. Otherwise, you could be just losing. 
Well, the, the late, sorry, Chris. Oh, I was just going to say with that, that does also get into the overarching argument of third party versus name brand. And oh, yeah. Most of the time with anything, whether it's a third party um, battery, third party teleconverter, um, whatever it is, you're right. Usually the name brand is the most compatible because it's the same company making the same equipment. The tolerances are the best. Um, but it is up to the third party to beat that. You know, they're trying to make everything work. So the third party companies aren't making bad things on purpose. They're trying their best to make it work compatible. Um, they or, have to reverse engineer. Yeah. Yeah. They don't get access to right. what okay. the manufacturer yeah, 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 has. Yeah. Um, but you can't forget that it is in their best interest for it to work as good as possible too. Well, when I, I've used and owned a lot of third-party uh, optics and some of them are just absolutely mm-hmm. terrific. Sometimes it's better than the manufacturer. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you never lose if you shoot it with a Zeiss lens, for example. Yeah. Yes. You'll, <laughs> you'll never lose. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to the communication point, when Canon came out with their um, version two of the Super Telephotos, they also released a new 1.4 and 2X version three teleconverters. And the advantage, one of the big selling points, I thought, was the new communication between the teleconverters and the lenses. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you've got that new lens, you bought that new teleconverter as well. To, to gain the full advantage of mm-hmm. of, of both things. And my question my question is exactly this, and I was going to wait until later, but we're here. <laughs> Every time I write an article about te- uh, a teleconverter, I always add check compatibility. You know, mm-hmm. and so so is a Canon the the third you know the third generation two times teleconverter completely compatible with their lenses? Is it is autofocus always going to work? Is all the information going to pass through? Is image stabilization going to work? Uh, or? Up to f eight. Up to F8. Right. Okay. So, yeah, it will always it will always work. Mm-hmm. Part I mean in, in the old and, days and at the same pace or Oh, they they're so fast now on the on the on the primes mm-hmm. on the super tele you you can't if you put a 2x on the 300 28 I I can barely find a discernible difference. Sometimes on the 600 F4 if you put a 2x it might hunt and peck a little bit, but it's very very rare. That's something that's important to mention that not everybody realizes that autofocus and metering are very dependent on the maximum aperture, how much light is hitting those sensors. Um, an F1.4 lens will always outperform an F4 lens or a 5.6 lens. And somebody who may not be as familiar with optics and, and how cameras work, you might look at, say, a, a 300 millimeter 2.8 lens. It costs X amount of dollars, but you could buy the same 300 millimeter, an F5.6 for a fraction of the price. It's not going to perform the same way. The pictures won't look the same way at maximum aperture from depth of field alone. But if you put a teleconverter on, as soon as you start approaching F8, the effective aperture, your autofocus starts getting sluggish. Your exposures start getting kind of like they fall behind a little bit. So um, there's a price to be paid. And if you're using polarizing filters, if you're shooting outdoors, you're losing, what, two to three stops right there. So if you have a slower lens and – before you know it, you're shooting an F16, and guess what? You 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 have a manual lens. But I'll I'll tell you, I think I think I can only speak Canon because I shoot Canon, and Canon has really always been at the forefront of the teleconverters. They've always been ahead of Nikon yeah. in, in terms of image quality and autofocus. When you put that on a big prime, a 600 or 500, you're losing very little. Um, not quite with the 800.56, that, that's on the second generation, so it doesn't talk to the, the teleconverters, but 
um, if you're using the second generation 600, a lot of those issues that you just mentioned aren't, aren't really there anymore. In the past, I would always say, you're going to lose light, you're going to lose autofocus. Now I, I don't even tell that to, to, to clients. You don't worry or, about it as I don't, I don't worry about it at all. Oh. Let's jump back to technique and holding something within the frame that is 100 yards away and moving fast how, uh, or even if it's sitting still and you have to find it in the trees right. with a mm-hmm. long lens, I mean, which is not easy sometimes. Yeah, you get and lost the, in there. And the older you get, the harder it is. Yes. As I, as I, <laughs> as not me personally, but right. um, I'm, getting, I'm getting, I'm getting up there. This is what you hear. This is just, uh, but it's just, just from when I watch, <laughs> when I watch the older wildlife photographers, uh-huh. they have, uh-huh. they have trouble. And, and what kind of tricks or techniques uh, can you recommend, uh, if there are any, uh, to, to keeping things in frame, in focus, and, and to following. Ace bandages with helium oh. balloons on them just <laughs> floating in front of the camera. Weights. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's really an experience the first time you take your brand new, glistening, beautiful, super telephoto out into the field. I mean, you, you, feel, you feel pretty special. And then you see the little bird flitting around and you're trying to get on it and you're like, oh my, what did I do? And then, <laughs> and then you've, you actually get the bird in your frame and you, you take pictures and you, you go home and you're like, can't wait to put it on and look at it in Photoshop. And you look at it and it's a blurry mess. Oh, yeah. And you're like, I spent $10,000 on this. The, the lens must be wrong. I mean, the lens is bad. <laughs> I, I better go back to B&H and, and get, the, get my money back within 30 days. <laughs> and then, I mean, that happens, that happens often. But what it is, you need to be super focused when you're using one of these lenses. You have Good choice of words, you, right? You <laughs> you have to worry about your your technique. You need a solid support. You need a very good tripod head, whether you're using a gimbal or a really large ball head. You have to tamp your lens down, which means you kind of put your off shooting non shutter hand down on the lens, so you're you're kind of creating a counterweight. You're trying to limit the movement because even just a little wind gust will move these lenses around. And you know, I have found that lens shades on these long lenses, because they're like coffee cans, <laughs> they could often create a lot of turbulence if there's a breeze, even a couple of miles yeah. blowing at or crossing it. That You have to take it off sometimes. Am I right or wrong about that? I never take mine off, ever. So how do you deal with wind? Because sometimes Again, you have no it's, choice. It's, it's holding the lens down with, oh, your, with, your, okay. with, your, with your off hand. I just learned Sh- something. Shooting, shooting at high, higher shutter speeds. Um, so it's forgiving. A little, a little sway is, is will be okay if you're shooting at two thousandth of a second. I now, mean, I, was, I was just going to ask you, where do you feel comfortable shooting with a longer lens? You, you just said one two thousandth. Now, obviously, uh, me? it's dependent on the light that's there. If I, if I have a nice stabilization, and I'll shoot at sixtieth or an eightieth of a second and not blink. These and you're days, always using stabilization, though. Always, yeah. yeah. Even on a tripod. Even on the tripod. Okay. But they have the new. Setting, I forgot what it mm-hmm. is. It's probably two. It, 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 we had discussed right. this the last time. Yeah, <laughs> read your manual. <laughs> yes, that's really important because, again, depending on your lens, if you have image stabilization turned on, it, you might destroy it if you mount it right. on a tripod. Not every lens has. Some lenses have what's called the tripod mode, where it yep. stabilizes it. But if it doesn't, and you lock it to the tripod, you're going to shake that motor to pieces. Correct. Well, for example, the Nikon 600 millimeter f4 has what they call the sport and tripod modes. Yeah. Um, and have you used those enough to kind of distinguish what's going on when you have it on a tripod? 
Well, generally, those modes will turn off the vertical stabilization mm-hmm. because you're already uh, stable on right. a tripod head, right. and it gives you more of like a panning stabilization because right. that's usually what they're expecting you to right. do. Um, Sports or birding, you're exactly. doing a lot of panning. Yeah. Sure. And if you didn't have that, like you said, that motor can start to overact because it's looking for something to stabilize, but you're totally rock steady on your tripod, and it doesn't know what to do. So it can actually start shaking those elements, and it can start damaging things or just overwork the motor. And that's why they've had to start adding this in because they kind of introduced an, a problem uh, earlier on with the stabilization in there that uh, once you put it on a, a bean bag or a tripod or whatever that's already stable, you um, you wouldn't want to have that stabilizer on previously. So I always told people, if it's in your hand, turn on the stabilizer. If you're on something else, you want to turn it off. But now that they're introducing these new modes, it's uh, taking care of that worry a lot. You just um, have to make sure but, you put it into the right But yeah, mode. you then have to turn that on. Right, yeah. I, uh, I think I think what we had discussed, there's, there's enough play and enough wind and movement that even when the tri- your your big lens is on a tripod, it's still not always rock solid, because if most people don't shoot with the proper level of support that they need. So if if you're shooting with a skinny leg tripod and you have a six hundred ten pound Nikon lens on it, um, it's never going to be it's never going to be solidly stable. What about uh, tripod materials? Now there's there are three or four different kind of materials used. You've got aluminum. You have carbon fiber, basalt, and wood. Is there an optimum platform material to use, support material, for super telephotos? Because I know that um, like carbon fiber is great because it's very light, but it also oscillates in the wind. And I know that wood is probably the most stable when it comes to absorbing vibration. So do you have any experience with that? Any thoughts on that? I would always go carbon fiber. So would I. If I was a, <laughs> if I was a landscape photographer and I was shooting with a, a puny 14 millimeter or 20 millimeter lens, maybe I would try some wood. But um, I, I think the carbon fiber is great. So I, I don't see any disadvantages. There's enough way carrying these lenses around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So, so, you know, kind of back to technique, um, you really have to concentrate and try to keep movement down um, to as little as possible. Um, th- there's plenty of information out there. If you probably just search on proper technique for on Google, something will come up. But if not, there, there are many. Talk to other photographers in the field. Watch what they're doing. Um, practical experience is always the best way to, to improve your technique. I think so a couple of good basic rules for tripods. Always get the most height that you can using the wider sections of the legs. Don't automatically extend the furthest ones, which are thinner and more spindly. They're not as stable. So get as maximum height as you can out of the thickest parts of the legs. And exactly. don't use the center column until you run out of legs. Most <laughs> most wildlife and bird photographers don't even have a center column mm-hmm. in, Thank you. In, their, in their tripod. I have one on my small tripod, my travel one, um, but that that's just out of necessity. Mm-hmm. But. And heads, gimbal heads, um, compared to ball heads or any or like a video head, do you have a preference or do you use everything, whatever needed, or what's your thought? I would say gimbal heads are probably the very best you can use. Yeah, they would be. Um, the gimbal is going to be tailored more toward shooting sports and shooting wildlife, and it gives you more of like a 
the guided motion that you would kind of be mm-hmm. expecting, whereas the ball head can kind of just get wild and crazy. And you the can, axis is you more fighting with the ball it, head. Well, you know? well, well, a gimbal head by definition self balances once you find yeah. the sweet yes. spot. Right. So you can leave once you've balanced it. You can just leave your your large lens on and not touch it. If you have a ball head, you have to always be conscious of locking it down. Otherwise, you get that dreaded flop. Yes. And you, <laughs> yeah. you're out and you hear somebody flop and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, At be- the very least, sudden pain in one's thumb when it falls over. Oh, oh yes, yeah. God. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> or a pain in your chest when you see it go. <laughs> but, yeah. but the ball head on a 300 millimeter lens or a 400.56 is, is, is perfectly fine. But when we're talking about the big five and 600s, or 800s, you, you want you want the gimbal. Any support when you're hand-holding it? Is there any kind of device or support device that attaches to the lens itself so you can have, you'll have one hand on the body and then you'll have another hand underneath? Or is there any advantage to that as opposed to just holding the lens itself? Not that I've ever seen, no. I always I just brace my elbows into my chest the best mm-hmm. I can, hold everything as tight, the exactly. camera against my forehead. Two elbows, that's three-point contact, and that's... Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. They did come out, I know, but I think B&H sold one for a while ago, which which was a gun stock. I owned one once, and they were good. I had a 500 <laughs> millimeter on it. That's... That, yeah, you that, don't want to go through airport security with that <laughs> thing, though. <laughs> so regarding keeping things in frame, how, how does the camera body itself affect it and the, and the, the shape and size of the lenses? Well, I, I think that's why professional photographers are drawn towards professional cameras, not only the lenses. Even though the camera is heavy, the lens is heavy. So in order to get that balance that we've talked about on a gimbal head, for example, you're going to need a weight in the back to to even it out. And that same goes with, let's say, a 5D Mark IV to buy the grip, put it on. The ergonomics are, are so important with your technique on a long lens, and I find that they create the balance that you that you need to capture your image. So let's talk a little bit about some of the, the features that we'll find on these long lenses that you don't find on even a, a 200 or a 300 millimeter lens. Well, the um, some of those additional features that they'll add to bigger lenses like the focus presets um, really can help with the performance of the lens because it doesn't have to hunt through nearly as much range as it normally would with the full range. So some lenses will have a little switch on the side similar to like an autofocus or manual focus switch that will have different ranges printed on it, and it'll say either like, you know, uh, three feet to six feet, six feet to ten feet, and ten feet to infinity or something like that. Um, And choosing one of those ranges tells the lens, okay, this is what we're looking for, search in this range, and because it's so much shorter, the motor can just do so much quicker um, accurate focusing in that smaller range because it's not searching through the entire range that it yeah, possibly by could. nature if if your lens when your lens is focusing it bounces back and forth but if it misses focus it goes all the way to infinity all the way back to the closest and then searches goes back out mm-hmm. again so the bird's gone at that point right that that's the hunting and pecking yeah where it goes from one range all the way and then back to the other and, and, and I, I think that's more prevalent with the cheaper third party lenses mm-hmm. than and you find that with the with the long primes their autofocus is as quick and as Lightning. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They just drop in and stop as, as equally as like a 200 or something like that? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe the only thing that would be faster would be like a, a 50 millimeter, right. you know, 1.2, right. 1.4, which is basically instantaneous. I mean, mm-hmm. you press mm-hmm. the shutter button, it's in focus. <laughs> mm-hmm. but. And it, it can depend on the camera's focusing system too, between contrast and sure. phase detection. Yeah, that's that right. That's also right. can influence it a lot just in the way that it's focusing um, because contrast is 
going to be doing more hunting naturally because it has to go past the point and then come back to it, whereas phase will get to the point and just stop. It doesn't have to go beyond it and keep looking. It just gets to that spot and, and does it quicker because of that. How often do you just go back to manual? Because sometimes, especially doing birds, there could be so much stuff going on before and after that does the you know, does your autofocus get totally confused as to okay what are yeah, you looking at? Yeah, that 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 does happen. There there are times where, especially for birds in flight, well, you might set it manually of infinity, or you're shooting with a range of like fifteen feet, so you you kind of pre set the lens mm-hmm. um, at a, at a certain focal in the range. Right, and then it's a lot closer to where when you then you switch it back to autofocus, and then it's it's a, a lot less range for for it to to, to, have to find. Right. Well, what about where's, where's infinity on a six hundred millimeter lens? Um, uh, it's far. It's not yeah. close. Yeah. <laughs> right, but it's I don't know, it's fifty feet. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I was okay. going to say like thirty or so. Yeah, thirty. So, but there, but when you're using a super telephoto, you are at that that range often. Right. Okay. So I always have, I haven't had issues, but other people have where they have to play around with, with their, what about if you're, if you're, you know, you're shooting a bird and the depth of field is obviously very shallow with these long lenses. So the focus picks up on the body of the bird, but what you want to get it is on the, on the eyes or the beak. Is that when you bring in that manual focus for the, uh, you generally don't have time Mm. to do that. So, you you can try to quickly either change your focus point or recompose the the image and try to get it on the head um, and and hopefully that the lens will stay in focus. But yeah, I mean that that's the pitfalls of of bird photography. You'll you'll miss shots that way. Everything doesn't always lock in. And we we were talking about uh, teleconverters and many of these lenses or not many but several often yeah. offer built-in teleconverters. Are they? Are the optics better in this case than an external teleconverter or? I shot with the Canon when it came out. Yeah. And I, I went around and I was all over Central Park with it. And that's the uh, 200 to 400 millimeter that they have. Uh, it's F, I think, 4.5 to 5.6, something like that. Anyway, when it came out, I, I went out and spent a couple of days with it. And I would say that op- optically, it was amazing what I was able to get. I was very impressed with it. And even when I uh, uh, employed the one, it has a built-in F1.4 converter, I didn't notice anything uh, as far as image quality or loss. It held up. It was perfectly matched. Uh, and now Nikon just came out with, uh, what was that now? 600 is who? 50 feet, yeah. a minimum focus. Okay. Um, Nikon just announced the 180 to 400 millimeter. Copycats. Uh, yeah, well, it's a little <laughs> bit wider and $2,000 more, um, but also has a 1.4 converter. And Fuji, for the X-Series cameras, they have a zoom lens that has, you could get it with a 1.4 or, or a two-time teleconverter built in. So that's an interesting way of working. Um, there, the, the, the Canon 2 the 400 is, is a great lens if you shoot mammals or really large birds. Because um, the the image quality is is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, having the built in teleconverter is, is very handy and very quick. Um, so as opposed to one to four hundred, for example, that that the Canon makes a lot of professionals will reach for that that two to four hundred when they're when they're shooting mammals. And what about uh, we talked again earlier about the uh, filter systems on these long lenses? Because normally there's a a drop in filter that you put. 
in, in the rear element as opposed to a, you know, a screw-on filter in the front. Um, I guess the advantage is, or the reasoning is size and expense for these big front-end filters. Oh, you couldn't put a, a large screw-on filter on, on a front element of a 600. I mean, what would that weigh? Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be, yeah. It'd be, it'd be a dinner plate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's true. Although they do, these do exist. I mean, yeah. right. but, but it becomes, you know, cost of, you know, I, be- I believe <laughs> the drop-in filters are also, uh, it's sharper optically, I believe. That was my other question. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's within the path of it, rather than putting something in front of it, which can get all kinds of issues, dirt and stuff like that. But I believe the smaller filters in the system itself actually have less of an effect on. Well, what, what, what's kind of what's kind of interesting with with filters, I don't I don't see too many. It's more of a landscape thing, filters. So it's I always find it kind of funny that they would offer filters for people who are shooting wild, you know, birds or wildlife. I mean, you're, you're going to put an orange filter <laughs> on an orange bird. I mean, when the you're not shooting black and white. You just gave me an idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I always found I always found that that kind of interesting. Yeah, that's very true. You, when you think about it, you're not going to need an ND to shoot an eagle or you know a circular polarizer to you know remove reflection right. off anything. Right. So yeah, it's it's a good point. And then all the super wide lenses don't have access to filters half the time, and they're throwing them into the super telephotos. So that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of interesting when you when you when you think about it. the The other thing, John, that you had mentioned, which for a wildlife photographer is huge, are the different um, new technologies and of uh, called. It's been around for a while, but now they're per- perfecting it. At least Canon is. Uh, does Nikon have diffractive optic lenses, DO lenses? Not that I don't I've think seen. so. No. Right. So uh, it's uh, it's a different element that compresses the. I don't think you need as many elements in, in the lens, and there's a special smaller and lighter. Smaller and lighter. Mm-hmm. So there is a rumor that Canon will be coming out with a 600 f4 DO lens, diffractive optic lens, which will probably come in somewhere around. Six or seven pounds would be my guess, as opposed to the eight and a half pounds it is now. And I think that would be a, a game changer because Canon, about three or four years ago, came out with the version two of the 400 millimeter f4 diffractive optic lens. And they pretty much solved all the, the problems that they had with the first version, which was contrast, light on contrast. And also, under certain lighting conditions, you get these specular donut highlights. So unless you were Homer Simpson, you know, you wouldn't be happy with that. So the, the new version kind of eliminated that. And the results are just phenomenal with, with, with the new lens. With the, so I would assume if, if Canon came out with the 600, you would have so many people um, switching to it because weight is always, the, is always a big issue. And I mean, at some point, mirrorless will... Will probably take over just like digital took over for film. So I mean, it's probably only a matter of time. I don't know whether it's ten years or fifteen years or wh- whatever it is. But in the meantime, this gets you. This gets you as close. You know, you're you're shedding some pounds, which is a good thing. Okay, we're going to take a short break and come back with more on long super telephoto lenses. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. 
Okay, we are back. Uh, let's talk about what kind of lenses are available in the 400 millimeter and up category here at B&H. Uh, broke it down by focal lengths and by uh, the type of cameras. And let's start talking. First of all, uh, we mentioned it earlier, but this past week at CES, Nikon introduced a very interesting lens. It's the AFS Nikkor 180 to 400 millimeter F4E TC 1.4 FLED VR. <sighs> Um, LMNOP. Uh, it sells for $12,396, but this is a 180-400 millimeter lens that has a built-in 1.4 teleconverter. So if 400 millimeters isn't enough, you could pump it up that much more. It's got fluorite uh, and element, eight ED elements, nano crystal and super integrated coatings, which is amazing for contrast. Uh, silent wave motor, blah, blah, or the sport tripod modes, an electromagnetic diaphragm, and a removable rotatable collar. It's quite a nice lens. Again, I use the Canon version of this lens. I'm sure this is quite similar and it was an amazing experience to shoot with that. 400 millimeter for fixed. Now these are for full frame cameras and I'll add that any of the lenses we're going to talk about for full frame cameras can be adapted to APS-C and mirrorless cameras, assuming there's an adapter available for your particular camera. 400 millimeter, the threshold of where we're going in here. We have four of them. Three of them are from Canon. Uh, the top of the line, uh, if you have uh, $10,000 minus one buck, is an EF 400F28LIS2USM. Um, and then for a few thousand dollars less, you can get the F4 version, which is the DO. That's the diffractive optics. That's a smaller lens, which uh, you were just mentioning earlier. Um, and then they make a. Let me jump in there real quick. Yo, I mean, what, what would the <laughs> what you know if you're going to save three thousand dollars and you're going to lose a stop? What's what's your thoughts on that? Sports photography. Yeah. Indoors, they're they're probably the biggest. User of the 400 28. The 28, yeah. yeah. So and for, it's probably the same crowd that will choose a 28 70 to 200 versus the F4 version of this. It's the same argument. It is. And the sports photographers and photojournalists will always reach for the 28. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's because it, it's fast. And also, again, that little extra advantage you have on autofocus speed right there alone. You may not be able to perceive it, but it is quicker. But for outdoors and wildlife birding, you would say the, the four is sufficient. That 400 is a beast. Mm. I wouldn't want to lug that around. Gotcha. And plus, like we said, there are many other options. Right. I, I, would, I would grab a 500 F4 mm -hmm. before a 400 But It's also uh, fair to say that the ISOs, the ratings of today's cameras make it so much easier to use these slower lenses because you're not necessarily getting hurt as far as top shutter speeds. You could adjust for that, and you're not sacrificing much image quality when you pump it up to ISO. Right. Whatever. But, but who's, who's actually... Doing that, concert want to shoot music, concert, um, concert photography, concert, yeah, yeah that's I mean, yeah, concert yeah, photography yeah, and yeah. events are the, the ones who are really pushing the, the yeah. ISOs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sports photographers and, and wildlife photographers are still trying to keep. Yeah, the but ISO if you're shooting down. birds or a football game during a solar eclipse, you're going to go for that option. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> no, no question. <laughs> you know, as long as long as you have a <laughs> the proper filter on your lens. There you go, and, yes. and burn it out, and don't look at the players during an eclipse. Don't look at the players. Uh, <laughs> don't look at the sun. At the eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and again, the last option from Canon is they have a five points an f 5.6 L USM lens, which is uh, only it's like twelve hundred dollars, eleven ninety nine. And again, it's a little bit uh, slower aperture wise, but it's a great optic. Nikon has one option. It's an F2.8E FLEDVR, and that again will cost you uh, a little over $11,000. These are 
these are all serious guns. 500 millimeter fixed. Cannon has uh, a 400. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, 500 millimeter lens. Cannon has a 500 millimeter f4. Nikon has a 500 f4. Sigma has a 500 f4.5 for a number of cameras like a Canon, Nikon, and Sigma. They also make an f4 lens. They're called a sports lens for the Sigma SA and the Canon. Um, and one other 4.5 EG, EXDG APO, uh, apochromatic lens for Pentax so K and with, Sigma. With the Sigmas, we're talking half price for a yeah. 500 millimeter. Uh, have, what, what do you guys think? Is it, does that shake out? You, you, you basically have six grand versus nine grand or, or even or, more 10 or, grand. Yeah. I haven't ever seen one in the field. Okay. But again, if, Money is an issue. I'm sure the optics and the image quality are great. Mm -hmm. so, now you yeah. said you haven't seen one in the field. Um, is it safe to infer that what you're saying is that people that you know who say are serious birders, sports photographers, they're sticking to OEM. They're sticking Correct. to the original manufacturer's gear. Correct. You don't want those reverse engineering issues that we talked about to actually crop up in the field. It's di it's different again on the on the smaller lenses. Many, many wedding photographers will, will go with the Art Sigma 85 millimeter. Yeah, and they're gorgeous lenses. Right. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're great. But on, on, the, on, the big, yeah. on the big end. You're still hesitant, huh? Okay. If you're going to spend 6000 you may as well spend 9000 That's think. my question. That is exactly the answer I wanted to hear, one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Think, I think once you've made that determination that you're going to go for it, you're, it's like buying a luxury car or any luxury item. You're, you're going to probably shoot for the highest, best available option. I think everybody should have a spouse that thinks that way. <laughs> I really do. That you just be... don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the car, they'll, they'll eventually, they'll see it because it's so big, but you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so The price difference is negligible. No, don't worry about it. I'm going to jump, I'm gonna just jump ahead here. We, I, there's also a Sony 500 F4, yeah. which is a $13,000 lens, and I'm yeah. sure it's equally as good as the, the Canon and Nikon if you're shooting Sony. And then we have a handful of mirrored lenses, which I want to jump back to. And I want to jump ahead to this 560 millimeter Pentax. That's an oddball focal length. Uh, yes. With that Sony, is that Sony Alpha mount though? Yes. yes, that is an alpha, alpha mount. mount. Yes, the it FE is. Yeah, doesn't yeah. have much. Right? The FE, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which we'll, we'll, we will get to mirrorless in a second, I think. Mm -hmm. um, what I don't know if anyone here is that familiar with the Pentax, but it's a $4,000 560 millimeter F. It's 5.6, but it's. It's a fixed maximum aperture. And it's weather resistant and it's to an AW lens. I'm sure it's a good lens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's going to be good. Uh, we don't have one to see or test in the store, so I don't have any experience uh, with it. Okay. Because um, Pendex doesn't have their longer lenses uh, on display there. So um, I just don't have firsthand experience right. with it. But I'm sure it's going to be built really well because that's one thing that they're very good at mm -hmm. with sealing everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that they sell. Well, how can they bring it in? Is, is, I guess it's because of the, the 5.6. They can bring it in at, at 4,000. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, that's relatively slow. And that's it's the only 560 millimeter lens I've ever heard of in my right, life. Right. Uh, just to go back to um, uh, the 500 millimeter range, after this, we have a whole bunch of these 500 millimeter F5.6 and F8 mirror lenses. Now, these are, these are inexpensive. Mirror lenses are basically small tele uh, telescopes. There are a series of mirror, uh, rounded mirrors that bounce light back and forth. They do funny little things to highlights. They call them donuts. You get little circles. Bokeh is a non-existent thing. Uh, but you could buy a 500-millimeter lens for $98. That's for an F8 fixed. That's it. That's the only aperture you have, F8. 
eight. Now, if you want to splurge, they do have a, an F6 three version for $119. So it depends how much you want to, how sporty you want to be when it do comes to Do you see people buy these? these? No, not really. Maybe once a year someone will come to look for one because they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I saw a 500 millimeter lens for right. $90. And right. we're like, uh, yeah, it's it's under that shelf behind that thing right. in the dust over there. Uh, yeah, see that door jam over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've got it propping this open. Yeah. I mean, they're they're not terrible, but they're not going to be great either for the price, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. but they're c- interesting because they can be so tiny, and you yeah. can't bump them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very they're very fragile, oh, just yeah. like a, a telescope. Yeah. Exactly. Um, right. And yeah. just to reiterate, these are mirror lenses, not to be confused with mirrorless lenses for yes. mirrorless cameras. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Totally yes. different, and nobody usually telescope. sees them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people won't even know that they. I'm gonna exist. buy one. I'm gonna buy one just yeah. to play. It's I mean, fun. why not? Yeah, yeah, they're good for skeet shooting too. <laughs> they're easy to hit, you know, because they're larger than the clay pigeons. As the target. So jumping to the 600 and the 800. Now we're talking real serious. We're talking. These, these are the big guns. These yeah, are the expensive yeah, guns. Yeah. yeah. 600 millimeter. Uh, Canon and Nikon each offer one. They're both F4, and they'll both set you back anyways between $11,500 and $12,000. Okay, but these have every bell and whistle uh, that they have. They've got their image stabilized. They've got the best uh, 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 coatings and glass elements, blah, blah, blah. 800 millimeter. There's two of them, actually. Canon makes an 800F56L, which is $13,000, which is a great lens. And that's, that's I've handled that thing. I, I owned it for a while. You could actually hold that up and handle it and shoot with it. Yes. So why'd you give it up? Because the 600F4 version 2 weighed two pounds less, maybe. That is a good reason to, ch- and, that's it. And yes. I actually tested the 800 with the 1.4 teleconverter and the 600 with the 2X. Um, image quality wise, and there was it was very little difference, so it it was kind of a logical choice. I have a, a question for you about that. Do you see a huge um, angle of view distance between the two from six hundred to eight hundred? Because it it seems to get very very negligible it's, once you go over five hundred or so. No, it, to me it was the same technique, and mm-hmm. no, it's no not really issue. giving you thirty percent more. No, no, thirty percent higher. No, focal and with a bird, you're you're kind of always. Just focusing on the middle anyway, so mm-hmm. you're kind of just looking straight straight ahead. So I, I didn't notice anything. Yeah, yeah. you know, just is, when talking about these longer focal, I mean, we know we're talking about 600 and 800 millimeter. At these focal ranges, atmospheric atmospheric issues start coming into effect. Big, Things big like time. rain, haze, dust, smoke, whatever. How often do you get skunked out of a shoot because the air quality just won't let you even focus on anything clearly? Often, but that's usually a distance. That's what, yeah, yeah. So um, you have to be, the bird has to be pretty far away for, for the atmospheric conditions to, to happen. If you're shooting a small bird, a warbler, you're generally going to be within 10 to 20 feet where the atmosphere, and you're not shooting across an open field. Okay, um, right. But if you're shooting, a let's say, a goose, the, the, there's a, a rare goose, let's say, out, out in Montauk right now, and that, that bird's going to be in a flat, field um and the atmosphere is definitely an issue and you can't get that close so you're going to be shooting at range or or an owl on the beach a snowy owl on the beach yeah the the haze on certain days today would be a miserable day to shoot it's (laughs) just dreary and raining i love that uh, the the comment that peter reed miller mentioned that we talked about yesterday he he would be using these lenses from center field 
shooting in toward home plate or oh, second yeah. base. And he said, well, you have a 400-foot tube of air that you're shooting through. And the dust from the field, the haze, whatever it happens to be. Backlighting. Is, backlighting is going to destroy most of your shots. Again, atmosphere, technique, something to look out for. And, Always pay attention. And, and having the thought process, okay, things are changing. What do I do now to get this? That, <laughs> that's experience it's, it's a thinking person's game being a, yeah. a being a photographer you always like anything else you want to be a step ahead mm -hmm. so 600 to 800 what who's going to buy the 800 you know when when they can use a 600 now is there any reason can you think i mean yeah, if you owned a 600 well, you, you knew there was an 800 you'd want that 800 because it is it's there. <laughs> well okay Come it's on. a bigger that's, that's number a luxury decision but i you know, I, uh, I, <laughs> I think that when the new version of the the 600 came out the 800 kind of went bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mm. Um, I, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I know a bunch of people who, who's, who switched. Mm -hmm. So maybe on it would be on the secondary market, you can get a, a good deal on it. Mm. Um, that's, those are going to be the people who are shooting with it. Can we jump to Zooms? Yeah, yeah, we, have, we were kind zooms. of getting okay. late here. Zooms, we have a lot to do. Okay, for full frame, uh, for the most basic, Bauer makes a 650 to 1300 millimeter F8 to F16. How's that for a working uh, range? I'll tell you, when I was just starting and looking at the B&H catalog 25 years ago, and I saw that Bauer lens, I think, has been around for that long. Oh, when, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, oh, man, that, that's, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and it's only $249. Right, it, it, would draw, it would draw you in. Yeah, yeah. So you could shoot birds with it in the morning, in the afternoon, play softball. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> uh, then we also have, but there are also some very, very good, you know, uh, uh, higher quality lenses. Not that you can't have fun with this uh, 650 to 1300. Um, Canon makes a 100 to 400. They make several of them, in fact. Uh, and depending on whether you have it uh, image stabilized or uh, version one, version two, uh, two grand to $1,300. Uh, they also make the 200 to 400 f4L image stabilizer. Uh, Alan, with a if I could just break in for a second, please. The, the, um, the zoom range is the the one to 400 and the 150 to 600s that Tamron and Sigma makes yeah. are definitely the most popular mm -hmm. lenses that you'll see. I was going to say that when we got ah, to them, yeah. Okay. Um, in in the bird field and the wildlife field, um, mm -hmm. very popular. Mm -hmm. All right. Now these are the, which ones now specifically? The, the, the Canon one to 400 version yeah. two. The Sigma 150, the 600 Sport or Contemporary. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the Tamron's name is, but the Tamron. That's just 150 to 600, and uh, there's a version one and then a, a generation two. Right. So mm -hmm. they're hugely popular. Yeah, that's probably our fault because we sell those all the time. <laughs> well, hey, it's, mm -hmm. it's fine. Yeah. We're no, no, it's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Definitely the most popular. <laughs> Canon makes the EF 200 to 400 f4L. That's the with a 1.4 converter. That's 11 grand. Again, I use that lens. It's wonderful. Leica, they make an AP, an apochromatic, an apovario Elmerit for the SL camera. It's a 90 to 280 millimeter. Uh, what what does that run? Uh, 6395. Okay. Operators are standing by. Mm -hmm. It's an F2.8 to F4. It's a variable right. aperture. Right. 
Um, 70 to 300 from Nikon, 180 to 400 from Nikon. But now these are dropping below the what, the threshold that we kind of gave for ultra telephoto. No, if it's just, or I guess well, using no. a mirrorless. On a mirrorless, uh, yeah. it depends yeah. how you're doing. This is for Good mirrorless point. and APS-C, so yeah, we're going to have yeah. some lower ones there going on there. Um, yeah, bah, 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 bah. And then now zoom specifically for APS-C and micro four-thirds. Uh, Canon, there's a whole bunch of these 55 to 200s, 55 to 230s, 100 the 400 from Canon Fujifilm uh, Fuji makes two lenses for their X series cameras the XF a 100 to 400 millimeter 4.5 to 5.6 RLMOISWR <gasps> and that and it's available with a 1/4 converter or a, uh, an F2 uh, or a two time converter uh, and they both cost twenty three forty eight. So that's an interesting option for uh, a wide range of focal lengths in one lens. Uh, even the Nikon One, that little mini camera, they have seventy to three hundred, which is a a one eighty nine to eight hundred and ten equivalent for a thousand bucks. Olympus Micro Four Thirds, they have a seventy five. By the way, there's a whole bunch of these here. There's a lot of seventy five to three hundred lens, uh, three hundred millimeter lenses, and also keep in mind. There are too many 70 to 200 f2.8 and f4 lenses to list here. They're all super telephotos when used on an APS-C or a micro four-thirds cameras. Same thing that goes for all those 70 to 300 and 75 to 300 lenses. Uh, many of them are kit lenses, 18 to 300s. You put that on an APS-C or a micro four-thirds, and you have a lens that can really reach out and bring some distant subjects very close to you. Thoughts? Well, that's true. Yeah, when you have the uh, the crop factor, your eighteen to three hundred is going to four fifty on one point five, or up to 600 or on six hundred on a micro four thirds with the two times exactly. So you can get literally an all in one lens, uh, depending on the crop factor. That goes even beyond the all in one concept of usually something to three hundred. Uh, once the crop factor is in there, you're at five and six hundred. So you got the super telephoto too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At and while maintaining that maximum aperture, so it's kind right. of cheating a little At bit. Six three or so, yeah. uh, and you can get some great pictures. Oh, it's it's amazing. I mean, you shoot with the one to four hundred on a, a seventy two from Canon, and you're one sixty to six forty. So just think about that. You're mm -hmm. you're carrying around a three pound lens, and you're at six hundred forty millimeters. And fifteen years ago, the the six hundred millimeter would be fourteen pounds. Mm -hmm. Yes, and the image quality is 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 still quite still quite good. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really amazing where the the improvements. There's one uh, lens on. that wasn't mentioned that I want to throw out and it's uh this oh, one that is the, the, yes. the hit of every uh Captain, expo or Captain Nemo's lens. Is that the, the Sigma, the two Sigma to 500? 200 to 500 yeah. F2.8 which is this big giant green Alan, how would you describe it? <laughs> it's 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 uh, a Captain Nemo submarine from uh, okay. uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. Right, right, right. This right. is pure Jules Verne. This is yeah. great. And, it's and by the way, six thousand dollars. Yeah, I've seen around before. If if you go to Amazon and read the uh, uh, the user comments, they're hysterical. If people talk about this lens, no one's oh, bought yeah. it. The fake do, user do you think it's great feedback. Do you think it's the same lens that they cart out every single year? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Is there only one of them? Yeah, it's made of balsa wood, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it doesn't Hollow exist. Inside, right? uh, yeah, we, yeah. Have, we I think we have one in the well, East department. A, also, there's one that's sitting there, but it's, it's kind of cool. Order, it's special order of B and H, right? Yeah, it's, I want to strap that on my yeah, back yeah. and go to the yeah. beach with oh. some goggles on. You know, just <laughs> again with the with the improvements now. Why would anyone buy that? Yeah, I just I mean, why? Because when you walk down Fifth Avenue with that hanging around your neck, 
You can they tackle. Look at you. you. You get attention. You have to <laughs> wheel that down yeah, on, right. a, on, a, on a car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it wheels you down. Um, now, here's something we haven't spoken about, but I think it's 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 kind of parallel to today's topic: spotting scopes. I I once did a job with a spotting scope, and it was a ton of fun. It's it's a little goofy and awkward, but spotting scopes are an extremely lightweight, easy to maneuver way of shooting with like two to 4,000 millimeter equivalent lenses. No question. What's your experience with them? Have you tried them at all? Many years ago. Okay. I had the first, one of the first adapters that Leica made for for a camera. And this is still in the film slide days. Uh And it was just a pain in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, but now it's it's completely different. I mean, the adapters are great. You could put your, your... your smartphone, your iPhone, whatever Samsung, and attach it or you pretty a small much any camera. any camera you have from a smartphone to a full blown DSLR yeah, I mean, mirrorless, the, and they have cages that attach and adapters, and you can it's essentially a rifle scope or a spotting scope, right. and you could shoot through these. And if you buy the better ones, they are extremely high quality. Yeah, they don't have fast maximum apertures, but I remember shooting down by the shore with these things. And first of all, get, bringing things close up for, that are a mile away. Um, I was getting amazing images using a lot of the uh, um, atmospheric distortions you get from uh, heat and humidity and, and water. I was shooting from the jetties, looking straight down the shore towards the sun. It was extraordinary. I got some really powerful images that I couldn't have gotten otherwise. I think it's a great alternative for, for, for especially for birders who already have a spotting scope in the field yeah. and don't want to carry a camera as well. I think in in the birding world, that's that's the biggest application. So it's very easy to put a little adapter and use your your phone, and and get a pretty. I don't know how the autofocus focus. Are you there? Isn't any right? So you're still focusing with the the focus on the spotting on scope. scope. Yeah, 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 so yeah. You have to be pretty. Good oh, it's analog. It's yeah. a lot more analog. It's it's yeah. yeah, a little steampunk in a sense, but um, uh, it is. You got to yeah. crank it up. First yeah. thing, <laughs> but you'll get sharp good. You can get sharp good images if you hit it. One thing I want to follow up, and we we're talking about shooting handheld and uh, working, say, on a gimbal or something like that. You often will be work like again. You have times when you're shooting mounted, and time when you're going. Hand. Do you have a quick release system that you use? Because sometimes you have to move fast to either pull it off the rig or, or or you just sometimes lose the shot because you just can't quite move that quickly. I mean, birds don't cooperate. Um, there's very few times where if I'm hand-holding, I'll actually have my tripod with me. Um, but I always have a, um, on my long lenses, I always have a, a plate that that goes on, okay. goes, goes on the tripod. I never shoot collarless. Do you ever shoot with a, with a chest uh, pod or anything like that? You ever tried that? No, no. Okay. I, I, those things just become too cumbersome. I think you you want to be free. The most movement that you can have to to shoot is, is best. You don't want to be encumbered. See by now, see one things. of the things that I found, like I mentioned earlier, that shot I did with a five hundred millimeter handheld and a floating. I um I I've, I've always owned a Leica table tripod, which I love for a lot of applications. And I use that as a chest pod. Interesting. I mount the camera on it, and it's got the three adjustable legs. I just plant them right on my upper chest, and I can brace myself very easily. And I I use that often with three to 500 millimeter lenses, and I find that just gives you a little bit more of an edge. And again, it's pre-image stabilization. Mm. But right. even now, it might be an interesting way to work. So something I do with... 
I'll take the the rotatable collar and I'll this is when I'm hand holding it and I'll slide it up a little bit so that I can keep my hand on it to the left side of the uh, right. I've done that. Just yeah, for gives me an extra little a bit little of stabilization. Bit more, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you, and you talk about quick release. Um, there are all these new straps for for cameras that have quick. I, I forgot. I'm blanking on the the brand that I use, but there are many. Chris, do you know is it the Black Rapid? Black Rapid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they are they're really so much better than your old neoprene straps or, or pre-neoprene. Now you, they kind of shift up and move with you, mm-hmm. um, so they they can provide a little bit of. Help and, and what support. would what would be the deciding factor if you're going to bring a tripod out in the field or not? Just where I'm going, mm-hmm. um, how much walking might be involved, what the subject matter might be. Yeah. Um, again, larger birds. Smaller lens, smaller birds, larger lens, larger lens support. Chris, let me ask you this. How how many of these 600, 800 millimeter Nikon Canon lenses do you see being sold? The super telephoto is not much. Mm. Um, I think people who are in the market for it, like you're saying, know what they want. They're going to order it and they're right. probably going to just ship it. You right. know, They don't want to carry it out of the store either. Sure. Um, so most people coming into the store are... Um, interested in getting into super telephoto, but they are not really sure. So they need some guidance and some recommendations, and they'll often go with the zooms, and they'll go with the four that we talked about, the two Sigma and the two Tamron, just because it's such a a great price and such a great range for that price. Because buying, you know, the Canon 600 is thousands of dollars, or for 1,000, you can get the 150 to 600 uh, from either company. And uh, and the two of them are kind of having an arms race between the zooms because now they both have two versions out um, at different times. So there's sort of a hierarchy between them. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've also forgot one of the the big things is the ego factor. Of, <laughs> oh. and when when you have, when, I mean, we touched on it a little bit, but when you have one of these lenses and you're in a populated area, it is a attraction. Yeah, yeah. Some photographers like that. A lot like of being photographers the, like that. like like to be the center of attention, and mm-hmm. others others don't. But there's yeah. definitely a prestige. Okay, David, what, uh, anything coming up with you? Are you working on any projects? Anything coming up? Anything exciting? No, just you want to make just, up a story? Tell us. No, no, just 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 the the routine photo submissions uh, to magazines. That's that's the only thing that I have cooking. And your website is lilybirds.com. It's L I L I B I R D S dot com. Correct. Okay. And Chris, mm-hmm. all right, you're, you're doing obviously Lens Therapy Live, which mm-hmm. is terrific. Anything else going on you want to talk about? No, just to help more people and, you know, get more information out there and to just make it more available. That's the goal. Cool beans. Mm-hmm. That works. That works. All right. So that is the wrap of another show. Now you know everything you need to know about super telephoto lenses. Okay. A short public service announcement. In case you missed it, the sweepstakes is on. Here's what you got to do. It's real easy. If you are a subscriber, you are halfway there. If you're not a subscriber to our podcast, here's what you have to do. Go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps and subscribe. It is free. It is painless. And you're guaranteed not to miss a single one of our shows. Once you do that, once you are a subscriber, you could enter not once, but twice. Once on Twitter and once on Facebook. To enter on Twitter, tweet us a screenshot showing that you're a subscriber to the podcast with the hashtag 
BH Photo Podcast. To enter on Facebook, go to the BH Photo Facebook page and post a comment on the sweepstakes announcement post with your favorite BH photography episode for another chance to win. So that's two chances to win two cameras. And again, the two cameras are the grand prize, a Canon EOS 5D Mark IV with a 50mm EF F18 STM lens. Second prize, and not that second is shabby, is a Canon EOS 80D with a Canon EF 50mm F18 STM lens. All right, now, the entry period is going to be from Thursday, January 11th, 2018 through Sunday, January 28th, 2018. That's January 11th through January 28th, 2018. We're going to have two winners, and they're going to be picked at random from all of the received entries and announced right here on Thursday, February 1st, 2018. To find out all the information in print, you can do so by just going to our sweepstakes landing page, for which there is a link in the show notes. It's all there if you missed any of this. Two great cameras, two neat 50s to go along with them, and they could be yours, and you have two chances. Again, subscribe, go to Twitter, go to Facebook page, Sign on, and why are you still listening to me? Go do it now. These cameras can be yours. And remember, even if you don't win any of these cameras, you still get to listen to the best photo podcast on the planet. And on behalf of Jason Tables and John Harris and myself, thank you so much for tuning in today.